I would say work as hard, if not harder, multiplying your money as you do earning your money. Because once you have a little bit of cash, it's so much easier to grow. That's yeah, that's interesting because, um, you know, I had gone through um, the masterclass that you had put forth and it was very eye opening for me to actually understand this perspective. Because when we look at this clean energy and we look at especially like electric vehicles, we recently bought an electric vehicle. The fact that, you know, you still require fossil fuels to actually, um, you know, get those electric vehicles on the road and keep them running. It was very eye opening because on the one hand, we're talking about cleaner, cleaner engines and cleaner fuels. But on the other hand, essentially, we're just shifting um, you know, shifting fossil fuels from uh, burning in one type of vehicle to another type of vehicle. And, and that was very, very eye-opening for me. But in terms of investing in this per se, right, um, obviously the U.S. is not the largest producer of fossil fuels in the world. Um, do you primarily focus on investing only in the U.S. or do you look at the global scale of production? And how do you see um, the U.S. actually playing a role in the, in the larger scheme of things globally? Yeah, well, it's actually great you bring that up because most people don't realize that the U.S. actually is the largest oil producer in the world. That's oh, what's really? crazy about Interesting. this. Yeah, we are. And, um, you know, that might not be for the future if we don't continue to invest in, in new production. Um, and, you know, the Middle East is obviously that's been a big part of uh, what they do. You know, Saudi Arabia is sitting on massive amounts of oil. Uh, Russia is actually a pretty big producer of oil and natural gas. Um, but it's it's actually surprising we have we have all the resources in the u.s that we need um to meet all of our needs and to even export um so that that's what's so fascinating about it is is the narrative is just so one-sided and again not to get political but from an from an investment standpoint i love it because there's these really clear uh facts that you can't argue with right and whatever side of the fence you're on politically it doesn't really matter, you know. I'm looking at these things from a pure investment standpoint, right? And maybe if you have, you know, uh, a moral issue with fossil fuels, that's a different thing. And I actually have a whole. There's a great book called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. <laughs> I encourage people to read because it actually um, there's a whole side of this that's actually very, very beneficial to global human flourishing. You know, cheap energy has been the single uh, primary factor that has driven most countries that have been you know, undeveloped to developed. Having access to cheap energy is essential to having these countries get out of poverty and to improve uh, just human flourishing in general. And if you actually look at, you know, yeah, global warming is one thing. Yes, we have increased our carbon footprint. But if you look at you know, the other side of this, which is you know, deaths caused by um, you know, natural disasters and deaths caused by other things that you would think would be a consequence of global warming, have have exponentially dropped because we're advancing as a human civilization, not just in the U.S. but across the world, and we can actually manage um, you know these these issues in a better way because we have more advanced technologies, and it's also up for debate with whether you know higher carbon is actually actually okay for the environment because you know what's the primary source of um, uh, of food for plants, right? They like carbon. And so uh, it's actually, we've actually seen an expansion of, of um, uh, you know, the, the foliage and, and green, um, uh, you know, trees, bushes, all those kind of things across the world uh, since we've done that. So there's, 
there's a lot of things we don't know and we, we, we have to be smart about it. We want to make sure we're not being stupid and, and utilizing all the resources we have. But to go a little bit into an aside on that, I think it's important for people to really dig past just the narratives. Um, and then going back to the investment side of this, you know, if you look at, um, you know, I want to invest where there's value. I want to invest where there's kind of inherent um, opportunity. And one of the greatest value investors of all time is Warren Buffett, right? And he's kind of considered, you know, one of the fathers of value investing. And he's making huge bets in oil right now because he sees this declining supply curve, right? And it's, it's inelastic. It's not something all of a sudden we just decide to flip the switch and we can just produce more oil because there's this long time frame that leads up to got to go explore it, got to go test it, got to go get the permitting, got to do the drilling and got to, you know, build the capacity, you got to have capital flows there. And so the supply is decreasing. And demand, meanwhile, is projected to be at least the same, if not higher, over the next decade. Well, that's a, that's a, if you understand economics at all, and supply and demand curves, that's a pretty good recipe for you know, strong oil prices um, over the next at least decade. And then you add to the fact of this, so that's kind of just the, the price environment, but then you add to the fact because of a lot of the ESG initiatives that are being forced on a lot of big capital allocators like the Blackstones of the world, they're actually re required to invest large portions of their portfolios into green energy. Hey, again, that's a great thing. I'm not, I'm not you know, demeaning that at all. But what's happened again is that investment into fossil fuels has dramatically reduced. So private equity funding has kind of left the landscape you know, by and large. And so it's actually created less competition for really good quality basins, really good quality operators. And we're buying cash flows, existing properties that are existing cash flow with all the decline and depletion curves built in, uh, usually around 20% uh, present value. And so if you understand real estate, that's basically the same as a cap rate, right? We're buying these at 20% cap rates, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine because it's so different than, you know, wow. real estate, um, uh, from a cash flow standpoint, but uh, there's just a lot of value there. There's not as much competition. You can buy these at really good good values, and you can um, you know have upside through new drilling. And if there's price appreciation, which we're very we think the probabilities are to that side of it, that's only upside, right? So it's it's a really great time again where we think right, right now where it's this kind of perfect storm of you know reducing supply, you know steady demand. Not as much competition, and you can buy really good cash flows to reduce your risk um, in these types of investments. So you know, I think I think what you're saying makes so much sense to me. But you know, coming from a real estate kind of um, the industry, um, you know, f focusing on multifamily, I understand the numbers. I understand how multifamily works. But say, for example, somebody wants to invest in oil and gas, right? What are the things um, that an investor should really look at uh, before they even start investing? Because you need to do your due diligence, right? You need to understand the numbers. You need to understand how the industry works. So really, what do you, what do you think they need to look for or look out for, uh, you know, watch out for when they're investing in, in uh, oil and gas? Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's one thing to talk about the macro, right? And the macro is a lot of times the, the, the fun part, but the micro of... Okay, how do you translate? If you believe the thesis that I just laid out, then how do I actually invest wisely in this asset class? And that honestly is the biggest challenge because there, you know, there are bad actors. There's bad actors in every, you know, 
investment class. But for some reason, oil and gas, um, it can attract just some people that aren't doing the right thing. Um, and so, you know, this is again where you really want to work with the right partners, the right operators. Um, but even aside from just doing the basic due diligence on the right, you know, partners with their good track records, um, you want to also understand the strategy that you're investing in, right? Because there's there's kind of a few different strategies, and um, you know, in simple simple terms, there's you know, you have working interest, you have mineral interests, um, you have non-operated, you have operated. And uh, those are kind of one layer of it. The other layer of it is what type of program is this? And I've seen a lot of people, as they get excited about oil and gas, they invest in what I call kind of pure drill program plays. And what that is, is they're basically, these are uh, sponsors raising money to go and drill a well, a couple wells. And, um, you know, it can be either wildcatting, which is more exploratory, much higher risk, or it can even be infill, which is, lower risk. It's, you know, here's a basin that we're uh, drilling in. They've already drilled a lot of wells and we're going to kind of drill another one where we think there's oil in the same basin, lower risk, but you still have the risk of hitting dry holes, right? So the biggest risks here are your operators, you know, not running a Ponzi scheme and then two, hitting dry holes. And so what happens, what I've seen a lot of people do is like, hey, I liked oil and gas, I invested, but I actually lost some money, even though I got the great tax benefits, but they didn't realize what they're investing in. They're investing in, say, one or two wells. If one of those wells doesn't work, all of a sudden your return goes from really, really good to pretty abysmal. And if neither of them work, it goes to a zero, right? And so you just lost money. And so what we're doing, we're really kind of, we think the sweet spot is, is because of the value that you can purchase existing cash flow at, we're going and buying existing cash flows of existing properties. So for example, we just closed on a property has 143 wells that are producing. These are horizontal wells. So these are, you know, institutional type wells that are, you know, very high quality. Um, and it's in one of the best basins in the scoop stack basin um, here in the U S and these are producing and you, you can run all of the engineering and the decline curves of here's, you know, as the production gets depleted over time, here's what the net present value of those cash flows is going to be. Like I said, we're buying these at, you know, 20% uh, net present value uh, without any debt on it. And so we're buying that cash flow and that's, you know, there's some variability to that, right? If oil prices crash and, you know, if uh, you know, there's higher CapEx needed, just like in anything, but it's a, it's a pretty good place to start. And then you can look at what's called the, uh, so that's your kind of PDP, your proven developed producing well. So they're, they're proven, which is a, an actual SEC designation. Then you have your proven undeveloped location. So these are our proven oil or gas reserves in the ground, but there's no well yet. And so to get the proven status is very difficult. It's a very, very high level of confidence that the, the basins and reservoirs are there. And then you can go do new drilling. And so we're doing infill drilling. We're reducing our risk by having the cash flow. So if one well doesn't hit, we're not you know, out of our money. And then uh, these, these new wells in the basin we're in, they have a 90% success rate. Uh, with a 50% gross IRR on average. And so you layer the kind of upside on that with the existing cash flows that you've already got. You know, it can create a really nice recipe of, of you know, strong cash flow plus some upside. Um, and that's without even baking in higher oil prices over, over the longer time frame because that's, that's anyone's guess, right? I have, we have a good case. It's kind of partly why we right. like this asset to kind of have that exposure to the upside. But 
it still has to work in the, in the here and now, right? And that's, that's the important thing. Um, so not to get kind of too technical on some of the things I just said, but that, that's really where we're seeing the opportunity is, you know, buying the cash flows with the, some upside. You can take more risk. You, you get great tax benefits if you're just doing pure, pure drilling programs, but you're taking a lot more risk. And I always say, never let the tax tail wag the dog, right? You don't want it just to invest in something because it's got good tax benefits. You want to invest in something because you believe it, it's a good investment. And hey, by the way, you get good tax benefits, which is how we're structuring it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the topic of tax benefits because it's one of the things that, you know, we've often heard about, you know, of course, real estate, and we've, I've heard a lot about oil and gas, but I never knew how they work. But before we get into the tax benefits, uh, uh, Ben, how can people reach you if they need to get in touch with you or they want to invest in oil and gas with you? Yeah, I mean, it's the simple way. Just go to our website, aspenfunds.us, and uh, it's there on the homepage. We have a few different offerings uh, available right now, and we're currently still raising for for a fund and you gotta be an accredited investor. So, you know, that is kind of the, the one parameter, but um, yeah, it's, it's available there. You can see all the, the data that I just talked about. All right, let's jump into the tax benefits because, you know, I know real estate, it's kind of you, you understand there's stuff like, um, you know, you can do the cost aggregation studies, you can get bonus depreciation right now, or otherwise you get accelerated depreciation. Um, and there's a whole lot of stuff in the tax code for real estate. But what about oil and gas? Like, how do you benefit in taxes? Um, one of the challenges that especially, you know, high income earners, W2 people face is that uh, real estate a lot of times will not, especially, you know, if you're investing in multifamily, will not offset the active income tax that they're paying, right? So is that something that oil and gas can help them do? Yeah, great, great question. So as someone who is a professional real estate investor who loves real estate, tax benefits are amazing. I just actually filed my my final tax return uh, for this or last year, and it was a beautiful sight when you when you can take all these these write offs, right? But oil and gas, I would say, is as good, if not better, because it actually has some additional optionality. And so, the kind of three biggest tax benefits you get in oil and gas: you get depreciation on like equipment and other things, um, but then you also have depletion expense, which is another kind of non cash expense similar to depreciation that accounts for you're depleting the resources in the ground, right? So that's an IRS um, uh, kind of benefit that they put in the tax code. And then the probably most compelling and powerful tax benefit are drilling expenses. So you have intangible drilling costs, intangible drilling costs. And so it's it's a pretty incredible tax write-off um, or really tax deferral because there's recapture. But um, you can write off almost 100% of your drilling costs in the year that you incur them. And so that's a very, very powerful uh, thing that you can do. Now, depending on, you said active income versus passive income, um, it is possible in the, in the right structure that those losses can actually um, be taken against active earned income, right? And that's something you can't do in real estate unless you're a real estate professional, um, which maybe a lot of your listeners might not be if they're you know, actively uh, working. Um, it's, it can be difficult to do that. But... If you invest uh, generally as a general partner in, in a limited partnership, then uh, you can potentially take those losses actively. So it is something that um, you know, can be very, very compelling, especially if you're a high W-2 income earner um, and something that you really you know, need some extra help on the tax side, you know, something to consider. Now, again, I always say the caveat is 
be careful because there are people that are touting these big deductions in their deals, but the deals themselves are, are sucky and just not good deals. So, you know, don't let the tax tail wag, wag the dog. But if you find a good deal, um, then look at the, the, the tax implications and, um, you know, hopefully that'll, that'll be in your benefit. Well, I mean, that's, that's great to hear, but I, I just want to, you know, add a caveat here. We're not CPAs, we're not tax professionals. So please, yes. uh, folks, if you're listening to this, please talk to your CPAs about your tax deductions. With that being said, it's very encouraging to hear that, you know, um, the deductions in oil and gas can actually help you, uh, or there is at least something in the IRS code to help you offset against your active income Um even if you have a W two and you're not able to read something like real estate professional status that we see in in real estate, which is like which is very difficult, especially for physicians who are working full time to to achieve. Um, uh, ben, let's just move on to you know sort of for for an investor like somebody who's starting new in into oil and gas. What advice would you give them in terms of you know how to find these deals? Number one, and and really, what are the right questions to ask um, the operators who are bringing these deals to them? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's just like anything when you're trying to find new operators, work through your network first. Um, because if you just go find someone online and, you know, they're running an ad and you kind of talk with their, uh, you know, it, people on staff, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but you just have less information. You have less corroboration of are these people legit or not, especially in this space. Like you want to work with, kind of trusted people that have been around a long time, um, you know, talk with some of their investors, talk with other people that have worked with them before. Um, and, you know, again, I think so much of this comes down to, especially in real estate where track record matters, but it really matters in, in oil and gas. Um, and, you know, expect more variability, right? Because it's a, it's a much more volatile market than real estate. So you got to understand you know, this this is something I've, I've shared a case where I think there's upside, but there, I could be wrong, right? And, and oil can crash to thirty dollars a barrel again. I mean, there's there's um, so many factors that go into this. So you want to understand what are the downsides, what are the the risks involved, and I think the kind of key risks are probably three or four primary ones. One is your operator, um, and not just you know what's the strategy because there's different types of ways to structure this. The way that we're doing our 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 investment strategy is investing in non-operated working interests. So we're actually going and investing in working interests, which give you the great tax benefits, but we're non-operators. And so we're actually partnered with large operators. So on this first deal, this is an example again, we have eight operators, six of which are publicly traded companies. I mean, these are big time companies. And because of that, that adds a lot of, um, it reduces a lot of risk from an operator standpoint, right? These are publicly traded companies, have huge teams, huge resources, been doing this a long time. Um, so that's important. But then also, if you're not working with a large operator, ask about the track record. Ask about all the deals that, that didn't go well. Get, get an account of every single well they've ever drilled, right? And they should have that data. And uh, um you want to want to understand that. You know, the other piece of this is is the drilling. So drilling is probably you know second biggest risk. And so ask: Is it exploratory drilling? You know, is this going into a new area that has not been very proven? It's kind of more exploratory. Well, not to say you shouldn't do those deals, but it's a much higher risk. So don't put as much you know likely into those types of deals, or really 
you know, uh, make sure the risk reward return is, 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 is there. Um, you know, I, th I think infill is a great uh, kind of way to do this where it's, you know, going into existing proven basins, you know, right now with the technology we have with uh, geological 3D mapping and other things, like there's a pretty good sense in these basins as they get drilled, all that data gets aggregated and kind of builds this, this pretty high, a high probabilistic model for where um, the reserves are. Um, you know, there is some environmental risk. You gotta, you've heard about the big oil spills and other things that have happened. Um, that is always a risk, but generally I would say that most of the big, big incidents that kind of get the headline news, they're offshore drilling, right? These are, you know, going in and not on, uh, the lower 48, um, you know, on actual land. So that is a risk. And then commodity prices, that's another, again, just volatility that you got to think about in this. And so, you know, you want to, you don't want to invest so much. You're taking huge risks, but, um, you want to have something that, you know, realize it's going to probably be a little more variable than, uh, than, than real estate. But like in, in our fund, for example, we are employing a certain amount of hedging, commodity price hedging. And so ask, ask your operator, are they hedging price? Meaning are they you know, pre-selling some of their future production at a fixed price? And by doing that, that just reduces some of that variability, right? Um, so it reduces some of the upside, but also reduces some of the downside. So that, that's the, kind of the, the, the trade-off you're making. So those are the things you're doing. Never, never feel bad asking the hard questions. And if an operator is not willing to ask them or answer them, then move on. There's a lot of, lot of good operators out there. You don't need to waste your time with the bad ones. And just as an example, like just ask a lot of questions and just try and meet a lot of different people that are doing this already because we were at a conference a month or two ago and there were, you know, oil and gas is getting a lot of headlines because people are seeing oil prices are going up and um, real estate's kind of in a lockstep right now with uh, this interest rates. So people are allocating more to it. But, you know, we're, we're talking with some of these operators and they're basically selling these uh, part these, these, these shares in a single well uh, drilling program. Okay, that's, I understand that's something people can invest in, you know, me, I would not do that because it's too much risk. And then on top of that, they're they're upselling the cost of the actual tangible drilling costs by 4x. So it, it costs about, you know, to drill a vertical well, say six hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars as kind of a, a range of, of cost to drill and complete a well. It's vertical. Horizontal, it's gonna be a lot more. It's gonna be, you know, three to five million dollars. But vertical, what a lot of people are doing. And uh, they were selling the interest in the partnership for $4 million. <laughs> so basically what they're doing is they're taking a massive amount of fees up front. They're diluting the value of, of this, this well. And then say the well does hit, but it's only producing a few barrels a day or something. Well, because they've upsold the, the, the deal so much, your return is going to be terrible. And then if they don't hit, your return is going to be zero because you have one well. So you just got to, again, understand what you're investing in, get diversification, um, you know, and, you know, get track record um, of all the past deals they've done. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, any final words, uh, Ben, before we end this session? This has been so amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, I, th I think, again, you know, it's, it's something that just like anything, if you're kind of new to it, take it slow. Right. I mean, I think now is a great time. So I would say, you know, accelerate some of your learning, but don't ever um, don't ever invest in something you don't feel comfortable with. Right. I mean, this is just basic, you know, investor one on one type stuff. But 
it's it's hard to not get swept up and you know you see a deal you like and you just kind of jump in it and um, you know there's a lot of people that I've talked with that got burned and uh, they don't want to invest anymore but I'm like I know I, I get it but this is different like what we're doing is 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 a different type of deal and there's there's I think people just have a it leaves a bad taste in their mouth and I think just by going a little bit slower by just doing some basic you know due diligence steps you can alleviate a lot of the um, kind of bigger risks or obvious risks and um, and then just be smart about it right just don't don't take outsized risks even if the returns being projected are really really high um, don't take outsized risks right use a, use a balanced portfolio approach of you know this is just one one allocation across your broader portfolio that um, you can allocate to to get some diversification from say heavy real estate or whatever you're 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 heavier into so yeah, I agree with that. You know, a lot of times uh, you see something and you see it's very lucrative in returns and uh, all of a sudden you have this fear of missing out with FOMO and you want to invest in that. But <laughs> yeah. I think uh, doing your due diligence before investing in anything is is super, super important. And that's why even though oil and gas seems so lucrative to me, I'm still focused on multifamily. Believe me, it's it's like, oh man, maybe this is the next best thing. But, you know, taking, um, take, you know, pausing and looking at what you have and what you want to build on is super important. And and um, I, I believe that, you know, there's money to be made in every asset class, uh, but you need to focus on one and uh, learn it pretty well so that you can have the advantage that the others may not have in that in that asset class. Yeah, I mean, I, going back to Warren Buffett, one of his things is only invest in what you understand, only invest in what you know. And I think that's a pretty, a pretty simple, you know, framework, but it'll probably keep you from a lot of a lot of stupid stuff, right? If you don't understand, if you can't describe it and explain it to a three-year-old and you have really high level confidence of what all the risk factors are and how it impacts, just don't do it. There's always going to be another good deal. There's always going to be, you know, another thing you can do. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that you want to make sure you understand what you're doing. But again, that also does it. That's, I, I would say I put the impetus back on investors because, the natural thing is, well, I'm just going to rely on an advisor. I'm just going to rely on someone to tell me what to do. But that's that's just as bad of a situation as because you still don't understand it, right? You're still investing in something you don't know, and you're offloading the responsibility. I think something I say all the time on our podcast is you work so hard to build your career. You go to school. I mean, how many years have you been in school, Avishkar, right? And Gosh, it's forever, man. <laughs> you know because you're going to be able to make a really good – income over time and you work so hard to make the money you make but then you spend almost zero time thinking about how to preserve how to grow how to multiply what you've already been earning you work so hard for and so i would say work as hard if not harder multiplying your money as you do earning your money because once you have a little bit of cash it's so much easier to grow from that point right but you have to do it intentionally and so Again, I always say put the impetus back on yourself of taking responsibility for learning these things because if you're smart enough to go to, to school and become a doctor, you're definitely smart enough to understand real estate, understand oil and gas, understand just the basics, right, of just how to find good partners, how to find good deals, how to you know, build a nice portfolio. Like there's so many resources out there. You can do it, right? So just don't overly rely on people that are selling something that uh, you know have a different you know, maybe have a conflict of interest or have just a different set of goals that don't match what you're trying to do. Yeah. And you know what? 
doing nothing is also doing something. So if you're not doing, so, you're not doing something, so you're still making a decision and something is still happening based on that decision. So we'll end with that. Thank you so much, Ben, for... Uh... All right, guys, if you haven't done already, please go check out my free video series on how to do due diligence on operators and on deals before investing in them. It's called Real Estate Rx for Passive Investors, and it's available at www.rerxcourse.com.